Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, August 27th, 2019. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's podcast by Slash Film Weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. All right, so as you can probably guess from the title of this episode and our voices talking to you right now, Peter is not on this episode, and he's not going to be talking about D23 yet. That episode is still coming, so don't worry about that. We are going to get to that uh, later this week, but there was a bunch of news that we wanted to talk about today, and uh, scheduling-wise and all that stuff, this is just how it shakes out. So let's get into today's show. Let's start off by talking about one of the big trailers that dropped at D23, and that is for The Mandalorian, which is the Disney Plus show, uh, the live-action Star Wars series that John Favreau is running over there at Disney Plus. Um, let's just talk about first of all our general impressions of the trailer. Uh, Chris, I want to hear from you. What did you think about this one? Uh, it looks okay. I, I liked that they thought to throw Werner Herzog into the trailer as like the big finishing moment. Like, yeah, it's like that's usually the moment that's reserved for like a big stinger. And <laughs> for this trailer, they made it Werner Herzog asking a question. So. Uh, I got to respect any any property that dares to do that. Um, but beyond that, I mean, you know, it looks it looks like Star Wars. You know, there was all this talk leading up to it about how it was going to be like this visually groundbreaking thing. And maybe, you know, the fun, when I see the actual show, it will be. But, you know, watching that trailer, I, I, I'm not going to say it looks bad because it doesn't look bad visually, but it looks like every other Star Wars thing I've ever seen. So I don't really know what all that hype was about but maybe you know they're they're saving all that for the actual show yeah i'm wondering if a lot of that hype was about like the actual technology that they used you know to capture that imagery because i agree with you I, th- I feel like it it looks really impressive but it looks very star warsy to me and it does seem to be leaning into sort of the western um aspect of it a little bit more which i always appreciate um but brad i know you've seen some mandalorian footage already um where was that at star wars celebration right yeah, back in April, they played uh, a lot more than what they showed here. Okay, so what did you make of uh, of the way that this footage was was packaged? Was there anything new here that you hadn't seen in April? 
Yeah, there are definitely some uh, some new shots here that were not included uh, in the footage that was shown in April. But this is a pretty basic introduction with uh, far less setup and really just captures more of a vibe of the series than anything. Uh, I, I do really like it, though. I like that there's only one line of dialogue. And as Chris said, it comes from uh, Werner Herzog. And uh, I just like the way that it, it sets up that this exists in a world where the Empire has, you know, mostly fallen away, though there are still remnants holding on to power and trying to intimidate people. Uh, I think the Mandalorian seems like a cool character. And like you said, the the Western vibe here is awesome. You know, there's uh, that cool shot at the beginning where the Mandalorian walks by the broken Stormtrooper helmets and his armor clangs much in the way that Spurs did uh, on Cowboys and movies. And there's, there's you know, close-up shots of uh, the Mandalorian having his hand on his laser pistol in, in his holster. You know, there's, there's just uh, an extreme Western influence here that I'm really digging. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess the question is, Brad, you did a, a trailer breakdown for us. And we don't need to go through, like, every image here. But it, was there anything that popped out to you? Um, any cool little things that you discovered while going through this trailer frame by frame? I mean, one of my favorite things is uh, seeing IG-11, the bounty hunter droid who resembles IG-88 from The Empire Strikes Back, in action. Uh, You get to see him quickly rotating his body around and precisely blasting uh, enemies. And then there's another shot with him standing alongside the Mandalorian as they bust down a door uh, into some some kind of establishment. Uh, And there's also some cool things like uh, Death Troopers making a comeback from Rogue One. And also an ATST walker that's uh, trouncing through some uh, misty, like old military battlefield uh, and blasting away at uh, a couple people. You can't really see who they are. So it's um, it's cool to see a series like this that kind of digs into the seedier side of the Star Wars universe and is also set in between uh, Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to our next topic, and that is uh, Midsummer. Uh, Ari Aster's sophomore film has a director's cut that's opening in select theaters this weekend. Chris, what do we know about this director's cut? Uh, this director's cut is 171 minutes long, which is a little bit longer than the original, the theatrical cut, which is about 145 minutes long. Uh, this actually screened already in in New York, and a lot of us assumed we'd be getting it on, you know, the Blu-ray release, which is coming out in October. But oddly enough, the, you know, the director's cut is not included on that Blu-ray, but they just announced today, A24 just announced today that they are going to show the director's cut in theaters uh, this weekend. Um, it's it's going to be, you know, a, a nationwide screening, but not, you know, it's going to also be limited. Not every, every city is going to get it. So if you want to see the director's cut and are disappointed, it's not on a Blu-ray here, here is your chance. So Chris, I feel like this is a, a, this might leave you in sort of a complicated state, right? Because I think the theatrical experience, especially for a movie like Midsummer, is a pretty special one, but I know you prefer to watch things, you know, at home on your couch and, and, you won't be able to do that, at least not with this initial release. Maybe A24 will put out like a, a director's cut separate Blu-ray release or something like that later on. But where do you, I mean, like, where do you stand on this? Are you going to go back and check out this movie in theaters if it's playing near you? No, I mean, I want to see this, but for one thing, I don't have the time. And for another, like you said, I don't really want to go back to the movie theater i'd rather you know i was really counting on this being on the blu-ray because that's where i wanted to watch it but i guess 
they're trying to do like a double dip here where like a year from now they'll, they'll release the, the special edition, which will include that. But so, you know, as much as I want to see it, I'm not gonna, I'm probably not going to get to see it this weekend. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is like one of my favorite movies of the year and I just, I don't know if I can bring myself to go see it in a theater. And I know that like people who, who, uh, maybe desperately wanting to see it and uh, it may not be playing in their area are probably yelling at their podcast recording or their re- listening devices right now or whatever. But um, just because I, I am blowing a, an opportunity that people probably wish they have. But um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of, once I've seen something in a theater, I just have a hard time going back to see a different cut of it unless it's like years later. Like, for apocalypse now coming back into theaters with extra footage or whatever it is you know something like that i I can do but um i don't know something that i just saw in theaters uh i don't know i guess that that speaks more to like personal preference than anything but um let's move on let's let's move to leslie jones leaving saturday night live brad this is sort of a surprise isn't it yes definitely uh no one was anticipating leslie jones leaving the saturday night live cast anytime soon it hadn't been mentioned or rumored uh, it didn't really seem like anyone was going to be leaving this season but uh, it turns out she has opted not to come back for the 45th season she's instead going to focus on her feature film career uh, which has been uh, given a bit of a boost recently and she also has her own netflix special that's coming up as well uh, we, we know she's going to be part of uh, coming to america with the number two the sequel to the original coming to america with eddie murphy and arsenio hall She's got a movie called Queen Pins coming up with Kristen Bell uh, and also something with um, Chris Rock called I Am Maurice. Uh, so she's definitely got um, a burgeoning film career. Uh, it remains to be seen, you know, how long that will last and whether or not she'll re- remain an in-demand comedian after she leaves SNL. Plenty of people have uh, had success at Saturday Night Live and gone on to try to have major film and television careers and not necessarily... Uh, done as well as they did during their time at SNL, but uh, Jones seems like she's got some some heat right now. Uh, she's she's never been one of the best performers on SNL, but she's she's been mostly hit or miss. But when she hits, she usually hits pretty hard and can be really funny. But I think that her biggest weakness on SNL is that she doesn't really come with a roster of characters and impressions. Uh, a lot of times, she's relegated to playing a, a version of herself in a way. Um, and her biggest successes came from her appearing on Weekend Update doing what is basically the equivalent of bits that probably would have ended up in a stand-up act if she was still only doing stand-up instead of being on SNL. Um, so the But the good news here is that uh, even though we are losing Leslie Jones, Kate McKinnon, who has also been extremely busy, um, if not busier than Leslie Jones on the uh, film side of things, has signed on to come back for another season. And since she's uh, one of the favorite cast members, uh, arguably the best cast member that the show has right now that's definitely good news yeah that's awesome and i'm glad that you mentioned uh your feelings on leslie jones because i i was wondering if i was alone in thinking that she was maybe i don't know if i would go as far as to say like a total weak link but just not the most dynamic performer that snl has ever seen and i feel like she often struggled with like reading lines from cue cards off camera in a way that some of the other cast members didn't um so i i'm not sure this is a weird thing to say but like i'm not sure how much of a loss this is going to be even though she has been like a major presence on the show for the past several years the good news is that uh leslie jones departure doesn't leave snl uh without a black female comedian uh they did recently hire ego nuodem as a featured player 
so SNL doesn't have to worry about digging up that old controversy uh, when they went out of their way to find uh, a black female comedian so that Keenan Thompson didn't have to continue doing drag. Uh. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think that's uh, a low point in SNL's history and, and probably good news for all of us that they don't have to go back to that well. Okay, so Leslie Jones is leaving, but there's some good news on the SNL front. Uh, a very famous returning player is coming back to host. Who is that, Brad? Yeah, this is awesome news. I'm, I'm so pumped for this. Um, Eddie Murphy will be coming back during season 45 to host uh, for the first time since 1984. He has uh, famously stayed away from SNL for the most part, with the exception of making an appearance during the show's 40th anniversary celebration a little while back. Um, there was a bit of bad blood um, during his career in the 90s because uh, David Spade kind of made an unnecessary jab at his career during his famous Hollywood Minute segments uh, on Weekend Update. And Eddie Murphy didn't really appreciate it because, you know, he, he comes from Saturday Night Live. They, they made him famous. Uh, obviously, that kind of joke had to be approved by Lorne Michaels. And so we just kind of took it personally. And he doesn't really hold a grudge anymore. A while back, he said that he was cool with David Spade and wasn't really a problem anymore. But... For a while, it just you know kind of kind of hurt his feelings. And so the fact that he's coming back to host uh, is a big deal, much in the same way that Adam Sandler came back to host last year after never hosting previously uh, and not really being involved with Saturday Night Live after his departure. Um, and kind of a fun fact about Eddie Murphy is, as far as I can tell, I think that he's the only cast member to ever host the show while they were still a cast member. Because back in 1982, he starred in 48 Hours, and Nick Nolte was supposed to host the show, but he got sick and was unable to do it. So they had Eddie Murphy fill in as the show's host. And oh, then wow. when he, yeah, and then when he uh, left the show uh, in 1984, at the end of the uh, of the uh, spring season, he came back in the fall when Beverly Hills Cop came out to host for his second time. Man, wow, what a run there. <laughs> yeah, that's so wild. that's that. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. And, so, and then they also announced some of the other hosts. Uh, Woody Harrelson will be hosting the season premiere. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge will follow in October. And uh, Kristen Stewart's coming in November. Uh, and in between them, uh, we've got David Harbour making his hosting debut as well. Uh, Chris, you're not a huge SNL guy, but I know you loved Fleabag. Are you going to tune in to see Phoebe Waller-Bridge host? Uh, as is always the case with SNL, I will wait for whatever goes viral on YouTube and I will watch it there. I just, I, I think the last time I watched a full SNL was when uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda hosted because, you know, I'm a big Hamilton fan and I was just curious. My wife and I were curious to see what it would be. And man, you know, while some of the skits were good, just sitting through the whole episode, I was just like, how do people watch this every weekend? It's I, I just, I just, I don't really, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. It's too I guess because it's live and it's different. It's, it's it's everyone plays their parts really big, and I don't know if I just didn't notice that when I was younger because I watched you know the old SNL with like Phil Hartman and stuff like that. But mm. whenever I watch new episodes, everyone seems like they're dialing it up to like a hundred, where like everyone's just like, "Hello, I'm very loud," <laughs> and like I I just don't know if that's just the style <laughs> of humor or what, but it just it really turns me off when i watch that's kind of just, that's kind of just the, the style of most sketch comedy 
Yeah, yeah I, seems... guess I just never like really noticed it before, but for some reason I notice it now more than I did before. <laughs> that seems like your worst nightmare, Chris. Yes. Um, okay, so let's talk about The Irishman. Brad, on a recent episode of the show, we were talking about this movie, uh, Martin Scorsese's new film for Netflix, and what it might look like in terms of a, a theatrical distribution plan and all of that stuff, and now I think we have an answer to that question, right? We do, uh, and for anybody hoping to see this movie at an AMC Theaters location or a big theater chain, we have bad news. Uh, it looks like Netflix was not able to strike a deal for a major uh, theatrical release at large theater chains for The Irishman. Uh, instead, they announced today that the movie will still be released in theaters on November 1st, but it will first start with a limited release in New York and Los Angeles, and then we'll move to more screens in the United States in the United Kingdom on November 8th and continue to expand up until and through its release on Netflix, which will happen on November 27th, which is the day before Thanksgiving. So it sounds like the negotiations that Netflix was previously engaging in with AMC theaters and Cineplex didn't really work out for them. It's not surprising since Netflix was really looking to give the movie uh, roughly three to four weeks in theaters before going to streaming. Movie theaters aren't about that life, um, but they'll <laughs> likely still uh, you know, work with the theaters they've worked with before for limited releases like Roma. Uh, we'll, we'll probably be able to spot it at places like Landmark Theaters, Alamo Draft House, a lot of those smaller chains that are usually pushing the the independent uh, movies as opposed to just the larger blockbusters. Mm -hmm. So, Chris, I know this is one of your most anticipated movies of the year. Are you going to try to go out of your way to see The Irishman on a big screen, or are you going to watch it from the comfort of your own home? Uh, I'm going to try and actually, because it's, it's premiering at the New York Film Festival, so I'm trying to score a ticket to that. I have a feeling that's going to be like next to impossible because everyone's going to want that ticket. Yeah. So if I get that, then yes, I will go to that screening. And if I get like a normal press screening before I can get, you know, a screener, then yes, I will go see it that way because it, you know, it's one of my most anticipated movies of the year. That said, I have no problem watching this at home. Uh, and I really don't, you know, I, I, I get the, you know, the, the dismay over this because Martin Scorsese, he's a legend. If he can't open a movie, who can? But, you know, 30 days, that's not, you know, that's not really small potatoes. You know, I, I know like the, the standard is 90 day window, but I don't think any movie except like, you know, a big blockbusters can hold on that long. Even mm -hmm. like good, like even like, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood, that's it, like a, that's a big budget movie. That's an original movie. That's a big hit. Uh, I can't imagine that lasting for 90 days in theaters. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't think, you know, I think the option to see it in theaters is still going to be there. Uh, would it be nice if it were a writer release? Sure. But, you know, I'd rather people see the movie because, you know, I, I just remember like when Silence came out, Mars Scorsese's last movie. No one saw that. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I love that movie, but I, I also know it's an acquired taste, but no one saw that movie. And, it, it was a it was a flop, and I'd rather people see a Martin Scorsese movie than reading about how a Martin Scorsese movie bombed at the box office. So uh, you bring up Silence. That movie was like over three hours, right? Yes. Do we know anything about the runtime for The Irishman yet? I don't think it's been released yet. I mean, I'm you know since it's a Scorsese movie, there's no way it's going to be like under two hours. I can't remember the last time he made a movie under two hours. I think even like Hugo is over two hours. So. 
I'm guessing it'll be over that, but I don't think they've announced an official runtime yet. Yeah, that would be really interesting if this was another like super long movie because obviously he wouldn't really have. I mean, yes, this movie is getting a theatrical release, but like if it's being primarily being viewed on Netflix, I wonder if that would be, you know, better for the movie and better for audiences, you know, just to be able to watch this thing at home in their own time and not have to tack on drive time to the theater and all of that, you know, on top yeah. of the the long running time. So. Also, um, that weekend, that that Thanksgiving weekend is 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 a primo time for Netflix, as we learned last year, because that's when they dropped Bird Box. I almost forgot the name. That's how unmemorable <laughs> that movie was. They dropped Bird Box, and it was like a huge thing. Like it, it got, I, I forget the exact number, but it was like one of their highest watched things. Again, according to them, they could be lying, but yeah. <laughs> they claimed that you know that was a huge deal for them because you know it was Thanksgiving weekend, people were stuck at home with their families and they're like, let's just watch this. And it was a huge thing. So uh, I I could see the reasoning behind that being like, all right, if, if friggin' bird box can do that, well, a new Scorsese (laughs) movie can probably do even better. Well, bird box was driven a lot by the memes. And I don't know if they're going to be able to like issue the Irishman challenge to people and like make that be (laughs) as organic of a meme thing. (laughs) Like what do you do? Take a picture of yourself and digitally de-age. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Hey, just <laughs> Photoshop yourself to look younger. It's the, the, the Irishman challenge. All right, so uh, we'll we'll eagerly await to see what the the Netflix meme lords decide to do with that. But uh, in the meantime, let's talk about uh, some casting news and and one other piece of uh, additional movie news before we wrap up. So in, in these casting stories, we don't really know much about them, so these are going to be relatively quick. But let's start off with Halloween Kills. Um, Chris, this one's probably the meatiest of the bunch here, and Anthony Michael Hall has been added to this cast, but he's playing a character who has appeared in the Halloween franchise before, right? Yes, he has. He is playing Tommy Doyle, and anyone who's familiar with the franchise will recognize that character from two distinct movies. One is, of course, the first Halloween. Uh, the, I'm, I'm talking the, the original one, not the one from last year. Uh, the 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 ori- in the original Halloween, Tommy Doyle was an eight-year-old kid, and he was one of the kids that Laurie Strode, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, was babysitting the night that Michael Myers went on his rampage. Uh, Tommy Doyle came back again in uh, Halloween 5 as, um, uh, as played by Paul Rudd. <laughs> and this was Paul Rudd's first movie, actually, and it was before he made a name for himself as, you know, this never-aging uh, comedy actor um and uh funnily you know a most uh, amusing enough is that uh when it came time to cast tommy doyle in this new movie this sequel to last year's film they apparently blumhouse apparently went to paul rudd and asked if he wanted to come back and he couldn't do it because uh he's shooting ghostbusters so uh, as much as i would have loved to see that happen um this is an interesting bit of casting because anthony michael hall uh, I don't know how I feel about him as an actor. He's not like, you know, someone that comes to my mind when I think of like really good actors, but he's, he's a solid enough actor and he has that sort of like eighties nostalgia cred about him. So I'm, I'm curious to see what he does. I'm also curious to see what role Tommy Doyle plays in this movie, because, you know, the Tommy Doyle played by Paul Rudd, he was, you know, obsessed with Michael Myers and he was trying to track him down, but that film doesn't, exist in this continuity so they have to like come up with an entirely new story for him so i don't know what Hmm. they're gonna do 
yeah, that's that's my biggest lingering question about this as well. Um, one other casting news uh, item that we thought was worth mentioning is uh, Himesh Patel, the star of Danny Boyle's movie Yesterday, the film that came out earlier this summer about the one guy who remembers the music of the Beatles, has been cast in Christopher Nolan's Tenet which is a movie that we still know almost nothing about. It's a big action epic that, uh, I guess, takes place in the world of international espionage, and that's about all we know. Um, John David Washington from Black Klansman is leading that cast. We don't know anything about who Patel is going to be playing in this, um, but, again, thought it was it was worth mentioning. And then there's also uh, one other piece of casting news involving Taika Waititi. Uh, he's been sort of, you know, obviously he's become, like, super well-known as a director, but uh, Brad mentioned his, uh, what is it, Brad? IG what? Which character is he playing in The Mandalorian? I've forgotten he's, already. He's playing IG-11. IG-11 in The Mandalorian, and now he's got another acting gig lined up. Chris, who is he going to be playing in The Suicide Squad? We don't know yet. There is no info, um, which is my least favorite casting announcement. When they, they throw a name out there and they say, we don't know who he's playing. But Taika Waititi is going to be, presumably going to be in the Suicide Squad sequel for director James Gunn. And that's kind of exciting. Um, I have a feeling, because this is coming really late and they're supposed to start shooting very soon, that it's going to be like, a cameo or an extended cameo at must like i can't imagine he's playing a main part but i guess i guess we'll see okay and then uh our last item here actually brad what do you think about taika joining uh a dc comics movie especially after his work on uh, the green uh, green lantern back in 2011 honestly if taika waititi is doing something i'm going to be excited about it and i'm going to go out of my way to see it uh, if Taika joined Paul Blart Mall Cop 3, I would probably be like, well, guess I have to start watching the Paul Blart movies. Uh, I just, I, I love him that much. He's he's a great uh, a writer, he's a great actor, he's hilarious in everything he's in, and yeah, I just, I'm, I'm down for anything Taika's doing. All right. Uh, and then lastly, guys, Michael Bay has lined up a new directing gig. He's going to direct a film called Black 5, the number 5, for Sony Pictures, which makes this the, the first time that he will have worked with Sony since Bad Boys 2 came out. Um, sort of similar to Chris's casting story, we don't know much about the plot of Black Five. Actually, we don't know anything about it other than it will be, quote, high on action, which, like, anybody who's ever seen a Michael Bay movie probably could have told you. Uh, we know that Aaron Kruger wrote the script for this thing. He wrote three of the Transformers movies that Michael Bay directed, uh, including Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, which I feel like is one of the worst major studio blockbusters ever made, and Transformers Dark of the Moon, which is the, the follow-up to that, and what I consider to maybe be either at or very, very close to the top of the Transformers franchise. So, I, I don't know. Aaron Kruger is, a, is one of those writers who, um, I he's worked on such big projects that it's tough to, like, pin things on him because these are projects that have tons of writers come through and most of them are uncredited and people do punch-ups and stuff. All you know, So it's really difficult to, like, attribute... Uh, all of a movie's good or bad qualities to a single writer, even though, even if one of them, only one of them is, you know, ends up as like the sole credited screenwriter. Uh, 
he has also written a Disney live-action remake of Dumbo, the Scarlett Johansson version of Ghost in the Shell, which, you know, not great. But he also wrote uh, Arlington Road, which is this paranoia drama from, like, the late 90s that I really enjoy. And he wrote the American remake of The Ring, which is a really great horror movie. So maybe there's a chance that this ends up being good, although the fact that he's reuniting with Michael Bay, who's probably somebody who maybe brings out his worst tendencies, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure about this. But, uh, yeah, anyway, Black Five. Look forward to that coming we don't even know when that that's how little information this actually this new story had in it so uh we do know that michael bay is going to be directing a netflix film called six underground starring ryan reynolds uh that's going to be coming out sometime next year and that uh, has been reported to be netflix's most expensive original movie uh ever even i think topping uh the irishman although i guess the irishman's final budget has not been officially confirmed or, or revealed yet but uh, there we are, guys, and I think that's going to bring us to the end of Slash Film Daily for today. So uh, before we go, where can people find more of your work online? Um, Chris, let's start with you. Uh, SlashFilm.com and on Twitter at CEvangelista413. Brad? SlashFilm.org on Twitter at <laughs> Ethan underscore Anderton and my own podcast, Go Flix Yourself, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. I've never visited SlashFilm.org. I wonder if that's like a functional site. I'll have to <laughs> check that out. Uh, you can find me at SlashFilm.com as well. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. And you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked in the episode notes. Um, SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcasts, Spotify, all the popular the popular podcast apps, and you can send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes, tell your friends, spread the word, and we will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>